Welcome to the claims clinic. Why don't you have a seat and show me where it hurts? Are you feeling depreciated? Has your HCV policy left you with a self-insured penalty? Having trouble with your GPP? Don't worry, you'll be just fine. The doctor will see you. All right, all right, all right. Welcome, welcome, welcome. This is Amy McCabe. I am your claim doctor. I have the pleasure of speaking with Mr. Patrick Callahan again today. Uh, Patrick is uh, a customer service engineering and insurance professional working with insurers, attorneys, and owners. And he works for H2M Architects and Engineers. Uh, this is a newer, uh, newer, newer job for him. Uh, this year, or, or late last year, uh, he's been in the insurance field for a very, very long time. And for everyone watching this on YouTube, I'm showing his LinkedIn profile right now. So I'm going to stop that right now. Come back to Mr. Patrick. How are you, man? I'm well, Andy. Yourself? Doing well, doing well. Let's, uh, let's refresh everybody real quick. Uh, a little bit about your background, how you're associated with the restoration industry. Sure. And, uh, and then we'll, we'll get moving with what I think we need to talk about today. I think we had an agreement. We'll yes, that. we did. Yeah, working backwards, uh, as you said, I, I'm, I'm coming up on one year with H2M Architects and Engineers. And uh, the work I do with them is I interact with our forensics team members, but I also work a lot with insurance companies. I, I actually touch base with restorers, uh, mitigation vendors, uh, other sure. engineers and such. Prior to that, almost 20 years with Allstate Insurance, but before that, uh, the U.S. Small Business Administration traveling on disasters. Perfect. I a hammer for four or five years building stuff. Yeah. Worked in uh, retail for a long time. So I've been a customer service person forever. Perfect. All right. Uh, and when I was with Allstate, though, I did a lot of work uh, before Alacrity and those companies started up trying to establish some uniformity across our claim office with understanding psychrometrics. That was before that phrase Ooh. even was a cool thing. We actually made up our own charts before dry ease uh, got into it. So I was immersed in that because we wanted to build some uniformity so that everybody made a nickel, but not a nickel and a penny. Nick, so, not a nickel uh, and a penny. I get it. Yeah, I so get it. so I, I've been involved with it for a long time, but really the customer service piece has been the, the common core all the way along. Perfect. So uh, not to get too far down a rabbit hole, but Allstate was trying to figure out a vendor program before a TPA came along and said, hey, let me take yeah. care of your vendor program, that sort of thing? Yeah, in, in the New York Property Claim Office, we were we had established uh, some, some somewhat uniform rules, uh, yeah. just trying to make some sense out of it all. I got to assume that most major carriers were doing that right about that time before, yeah. before the TPAs came to mm -hmm. dominate, dominate us. Well, good. Uh, it's great to have you back again. Thank you Thanks. for coming. Sure. And um, let's talk about H2M and, and what you do and the rise of third part, not third party administrators, but third party experts and consultants. Uh, we're seeing more and more and more of those. I actually had mm -hmm. an email exchange with one today uh, on a major loss I'm working out of Atlanta. Uh, this particular forensic accounting company mm -hmm. was going through the books and saying, no, we don't owe you that much money for rental reimbursements, uh, according to our car calculations. Mm -hmm. and, and for those of you in, out there in Radio Land, I'm giving some air quotes. According to our calculations, uh, we owe you X. And, and so we were going back and forth. But at that point, I am not dealing with an adjuster. 
I'm dealing with somebody who's not a licensed adjuster, who's not a true party to the claim, but they're mm -hmm. this retained expert. So once you give us a grand overview of, of how that works, how does that play sure. in to, to the claim environment and, and why are we seeing more and more of them nowadays than we used to? Yeah, uh, I, well, obviously engineers have been around for a long time, mold, mm -hmm. uh, asbestos, cause and origin, fire investigations, environmental stuff. Oh, for sure. But uh, in an insurance policy, the, the carrier covers an insurance direct physical loss. Right, so how do you determine that? Everybody's got an opinion of what direct physical loss is and then exclusions. Everybody's got an opinion. <laughs> but the person with the, the most qualifications or the most letters after their name, if it goes to court, often is the person who carries the heaviest uh, weight of, uh, uh, of, I don't want to say it's legitimacy, but uh, weight of reputation. Yes, so uh, obvious engineers have been around forever. But at this point, H2M, no different than any other, what is being seen is as intellectual capital vacates the insurance world, and, and you have a lot of uh, new staff. That's my dog barking in the background. Yeah, that's, so right. That's, that's right. Not that's that like, bad. Not bad. As, as you get a lot of new folks into uh, doing being adjusters or even being restoration vendors, you've got questions of, all right, is it covered? Is it not covered? So at the outset, an adjuster might say, I'm not sure about this. I just don't have the experience to know if a retaining wall fell or if a roof is damaged because of whatever reason. So an engineer would be called in. Okay. So let me, let me pause real quick yeah. uh, and repeat something you just said. Intellectual capital mm -hmm. has left, left the claims department. That means we used to have folks that knew how buildings went together mm -hmm. and they could figure out these problems on their own. Mm -hmm. And we don't anymore because we don't, uh, for a my myriad of different reasons, we have a different population coming into becoming claims adjusters. Right. Okay. okay. There's no question. Uh, and, and it's the migration of a claim adjuster typically goes, you get hired as an inside adjuster and, and you get some experience at a desk and you may come right out of college and not really have much, and insurance carriers try to train. But mm -hmm. you can't train somebody how something goes together unless they either experience a lot of it being damaged or mm -hmm. they've done it themselves. Yes, true. Right, so it, it's tough, and, and not cast any stones at anybody. It, mm -hmm. It's the, the reality of life. It just is what it is. It is what it is, and in, in the adjusting world, uh, things are learned over time. So no matter what you do, you could hire somebody, you train the heck out of them, but in a year, they're not going to learn. You, you could have the best training ever. And in a year, you're just not going to know. No. Uh, so the engineering world, forensic engineering, becomes more and more prevalent in its need because adjusters are not fearful. Their concerns are, am I making the right call? Or I want defense mm. on my denial. Ah, I want backup. I, need I want backup. backup. And again, it's not because they're being bad or anything, but uh, you've got the, the contractor, the store, whoever, the customer on one side saying, yes, I believe it is. And the adjuster saying, no, I don't. Let's get an expert in. Yes. And uh, the engineering work isn't going to be hired necessarily because the customer wants it. It's going to, they're going to be hired because the insurance company's looking for that backup. 
in fact, the customer could say, I want you to hire me an engineer as an alternative opinion. But the insurance policy doesn't provide that benefit. Mm. The, the, the carrier no, has it. it doesn't. Because they can investigate. It doesn't. Why? Why doesn't it? Direct physical loss only. It's the wording. We pay for direct physical loss. Do Sunday we need to get legislation? You know, I've got uh, an idea for legislation, but, but I won't interrupt you. Go ahead. Let's bring me back to that point, because I'm not I taking will. position for or against the insurance company or, or against sure. the... But the, there are ways to go about it. Yes. So really, the, the prevalence of engineering assignments uh, increasing uh, is, I say, due to the, the, the uh, vacation if we can use that word, vacating of intellectual capital in, in the uh, insurance world. Okay. Uh, I don't want to say it's fear of litigation, uh, but the trigger gets pulled a lot on it. And, and I'm not going to complain because I work for an engineering company. Call me every day. We'll send someone to your house. Yes, um, we will. Because we bill by the hour. <laughs> we, right. And of course, as catastrophes become more and more severe, and as we've all seen over the last couple of years, um, then there's going to be more and more need for it in those environments. Is it flood? Is it wind? Uh, every time there's a, a heavy hurricane, flood versus wind is going to bring a lot of experts in. So, Absolutely. Um, also, you've got, and not to interrupt, because I could see you're saying, there is regulation and, and uh, laws being passed for controlling uh, how environmental effects are monitored, asbestos mold, and now it's even silica, how it's handled. Mm -hmm. So more and more of that happening uh, causes insurance companies to have to often by law gain the, the work from an engineering company or a forensics uh, company to assess that. On that point, what do you say mm -hmm. to these the carriers and desk adjusters who are saying, well, we don't owe for that testing. We don't, we don't owe to pay for asbestos testing. Uh, well, in, in the state of New York, and that, that's where I live, it, it's, a, it's a, uh, a requirement that anybody who is disturbing material has to have it tested or they're, they're assuming liability for whatever goes on. Mm -hmm. It's an absolute straight up law. It's, so, it's contractor based. It's not insurance. It has nothing, that has nothing no, to do with it, insurance. It's, it's got nothing to do with it. It's a separate law, the labor, uh, the labor uh, code of, uh, of the state laws say you have to test it. Sure. Um, so if, if you're, say, not in the state of New York, and there's going to be other states that have asbestos requirements, and the uh, carrier says, we don't owe for that, mm. and they don't know for sure that it's asbestos-containing material or not, um, is it like lead where you say it's an incurred cost? Mm. Um, is it material that most probably before the eight years, 1978, had them in it? You know, heavy sprayed ceilings, uh, mastic, nine by nine tiles. How are they going to estimate the damage if they're not including all of what they know is mm. most probably damaged? And that might go towards that bad faith. Mm. Uh, Sure, bad word, bad word. It's damage that they know should be included in the estimate, but they're not addressing it. So what do you say to them? You say, come on, this is nine by nine tile. 
we know it's asbestos carrying material. It may not be friable, whatever, but it's really got to be included. So push comes to shove, I would recommend all vendors include it. And if the carrier doesn't, they're gonna have to deny that as part yes. of the claim. They're gonna officially, officially. They're gonna have to in writing deny it. Uh, and at that point, it's either litigation or in some states you can take that to appraisal. Uh, yeah. Florida and uh, Louisiana, for example. Uh, so it's there's no pure answer to that. Uh, it's come on, you take the guy aside, you put your arm around the show. Say, come on, you Look. know. Look at this. <laughs> yeah, you know that this is asbestos. Or are you going to assume the liability? Yeah, and that's the tack that I propose. Mm -hmm. um, and, and as you know, and as as uh, hopefully most of my audience knows, I've been running this this rebel rouser group called the restoration rebels for a couple of years now. It's amazing how many times I've seen come up in the threads of our Facebook group that you had, we have a desk adjuster saying, well, you can go ahead and test for asbestos, but if you don't find any, we're not paying for the test. And I just, I'm like, you know, that's, uh, <laughs> that's just not right. That's just not right. So, okay. Yeah. You, you build the case for what the material is. You don't want to just, if you're not in a state that requires it and it's drywall and you, you don't know for sure, you, you can't press every issue. But if it's nine by nine tiles or if it's that heavy sprayed seal or that type of stuff, you got to include it in your estimate. I don't, know that, I don't know that there's a state that doesn't require it at this point. There, there may not be because OSHA says you've got to protect your employees. Sure. Uh, EPA's got certain regulations. So uh, the more information you have that, that shows the desk adjuster, whoever, that there is a requirement for it, you include it. At minimum, you have to tell the carrier, include a line in there. If it's incurred, it's part of the claim. Yeah, it's got to be. Right? Perfect, perfect. And, and yeah, let's not go too far down the asbestos. No, room. no, I, and I'm not, I, I'm not saying one way or the other. I'm not insurance person, uh, loyal, or customer, because the, the damage is the damage. I am loyal speaks to for the itself. Damage. Yes, the sir. The structure speaks for itself. I am loyal to the scope. Yeah. All right. I agree on the scope. I do know uh, any structure, Washington State, any structure built after 20 or before 2016, you have mm -hmm. to test now because uh, there was a big, uh, there's a, been a lot of uh, imported drywall from China. Right. Which contains asbestos and then the mud contains it you know it's not necessarily the drywallness it's it could be the mud that can't it's just a mess well any any uh restorer that comes in and starts doing tear out before they know for sure they are just exposing themselves they're taking in it a on. way they're taking it on they're they own it um, and, and we're not talking two thousand dollar consequences this is typically you start to toss the dust around and, and now you're cleaning the whole house and <laughs> Uh, oh, and then someone screams at you, you, you expose them. Ah, forget yes. about it. Yeah, yeah. The liability is huge. Uh, yeah. Uh, so there you oh, go. Back up a little bit. The legislation I've been thinking if a carrier is going to hire all these experts and incur these, it's a, it's a claims expense at that point. It's mm -hmm. the cost of claim expense, not part of their coverage expense, limit, not mm -hmm. part of it yet. I believe that it's not unreasonable to write into the legislation, uh, the insurance for the legislation that whatever the carrier spends on an expert, the homeowner should be able to give an, get an allowance 
to spend the same amount to level the playing field. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I, I would well, I, I guess the undertone of that, Andy, is that the feeling then is if a carrier hires an expert, the carrier is doing it to the benefit, I mean, the engineer is doing it to the benefit of the carrier. But yes. the feeling is that the work is being done really to the carrier's benefit. Yes. Uh, I would counter that, that, gosh, I, the damage is the damage, the, the, the uh, assessment is the assessment. It, and all I can only speak from, from H2M. We go out and it's science. You look at it, it's science. The roof is either a condition of X or it's not. Mm-hmm. You don't build your report to try to lean towards verbiage from an, an insurance policy. Although I've seen it many times. I've seen it many times this year. <laughs> yeah. So if, if there's a prejudicial preparation of a report, you got to raise your hand and say, come on. Yeah. You know, I can't say they're all going to go out and be loyal and all that stuff and just empirical. So whether or not you get that legislation through, uh, that I can't be sure. But in reading a report, if it's prejudicial, the customer or the vendor's got to raise their hand and say, come on, you guys are killing me. Right. Uh, Three times this year, I had to have a client uh, hire their own engineer to develop their own engineer's opinion on what actually happened. Mm. Because the the carrier's pet engineer, and, and I'm not I'm not speaking to H2M here. Mm-hmm. No, no. You stand up individuals, and I get that. But certain certain carriers, it's the same engineer every time. You know, I see him in town. I'm in Bend, Oregon. It's a small town, so I see the same guy, and he gives the same report. And it, and it reads something like this. Oh, yeah, the roof is damaged. Oh, no, we don't think that the cause of damage was X. So your statement of loss, you submitted, Mr. Insured, that you said the ice lifted your shingles and now they're, they're, they're all, you know, bow jingled. The seals are broken. The seals are broken and they never said that it's been a summer now and they never sat down. They're still crowned up. And, and this engineer says, okay, yeah, those, those, um, those shingles are damaged, but I don't think, I don't think the ice did it. Well, okay. But it's conjecture is conjecture, not, not, yes, these are damaged. You know, either damaged or they're not. So it's, it's really hard. One thing is for certain, if, if you read a report and there's a lot of pronouns in it, mm. your roof, I think that it's going to the land of, uh, of uh, someone's opinion as opposed to someone's understanding of science exactly. or facts. I mean, really, that's... Thank the, you for saying that, Patrick. I mean, it's, it's true. It's... Even when you negotiate an estimate, by the way, and I'm going to throw this in, leave pronouns out. My estimate versus your estimate. The damage shows. The <laughs> estimates show. I'm writing pronouns, that down. <laughs> pronouns should not be in negotiation or in scientific assessments of anything because you, you've got to put the work between you and whoever you're working with. Not leave out the pronouns. Leave, leave out pronouns. But uh, big carriers often will rotate between Rimkus, EFI, whoever, so that they're not getting the same deal. Mm. If you've got a, if you've got someone who's who's uh, who's always doing the same thing for a carrier, that that's just a, a lawsuit coming down the road at some point. Can you speak uh, to the Hurricane Sandy debacle and the FEMA uh, debacle where they had to re they had to reopen thirty thousand claims based on um, biased engineering reports? Yeah, the Superstorm Sandy. There were. 
Now, there, there weren't actually 30,000 claims that had biased reports, but there were a lot of them. But what sure. FEMA they did- They were enough that they reopened yeah, all of FEMA them. said, look, we're, we're uncomfortable with these. So the, the, the conclusions of the engineers were changed by the carrier. We're gonna look at this pool of, of claims uh, not only from the what ones that engineer did, but also what some carriers did. And there were carriers that really did some unsavory stuff. Sure. And it turned into 30,000. And same thing happened after, uh, uh, what was that big one down in uh, Louisiana? Uh, I've got a mental Not block Andrew. on it right now. No, no, the, yeah, the one that hit New Orleans so bad. Uh, Katrina. Katrina, yeah. Katrina was terrible stuff. There, there was a high, high prevalence of, of, just wind versus water and things being written in a way that the carriers wanted to see it. Mm. Most carriers learn from that. The ones up in New York, they don't see hurricanes that often. So they stepped on their, you know what, a little bit. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> uh, so yeah, that does happen. And any, any uh, carrier or restorer, anybody who's dealing with a lot of claims has to be aware of, of uh, what am I seeing? What's, what's the general tendency I'm seeing of these reports? If you see the same boilerplate stuff. Yeah, copy-paste, copy-paste. Yeah, look, look at the work you do if you go to a, 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 a catastrophe. You're doing a lot of claims. Mm -hmm. Tendencies could be, oh, man, how can I get these reports written easily? Boom, yeah. boom, boom. The, the damage repeats. Engineers are humans. Adjusters are humans. Restorers are humans. We'd like We're to be more short. efficient. Yes, we are. We, we want to be more efficient. You're going to start cutting and pasting. Uh, but an engineer can't do that because... The coverage determinations can be based on very specific observations at a site. Mm. There's got to be a paragraph in that report that's really detailed to that house. Tell me about the technology you guys use uh, to to analyze losses and and come uh, and develop. Well, tell me about what you do. What what do what does H2M do? All right. Well, well, above and beyond designing sewage treatment plants and buildings and all the the huge stuff, the forensics group. We do everything from, if there's an oil spill, doing ground samples and determining restoration plans mm. to uh, simple things like, gosh, we need some, some asbestos samples from room A, B, and C. Oh, so okay. let's, let's take an example of a cause and origin. Roofs are a good one. Okay. Is it hail damage or is it just old? Yeah. Look, my, my gutters are full of, my gutters are full of all of the little ceramic Bits off of the, uh -huh. it, all the granules fell off. Look, the hail did all of that. All right. <laughs> well, it may have happened during the hailstorm, but it's not necessarily happening because of the hail. All right. But the one you spoke of, the ice damming. Mm -hmm. all right, we have a ton of ice damming claims in New York State. Same as where you guys are. Most often, ice damming doesn't cause damage. But if we're called on one, we're going to go out, we're going to set up, we're going to look at it big sample of ice, uh, of shingles along the eave. We're going to see what do other shingles look like in, in non-affected, say, a rake edge mm -hmm. versus it's, it's really looking for the cause and looking for what is not the cause. All right, so on an ice damming, you, you've got, you can't use a drone necessarily to do mm -hmm. that because you got to lift the shingles up. Thermography is the best way when it's happening. You know, taking when it's happening, though. But like, when it's happening, you're not getting but, up on a roof or, or above a roof. But if you're called a month ice. afterwards, the sheathing may still be damp. 
Sure, okay. All right, so doing some thermography from inside the house, you can see the patterns of the where the water infiltration is. Where was it the worst? Where, you know, a customer may have pictures of where the biggest icicles were. You've got to look at all the evidence that's being presented. And if, if you've got, uh, often it's rafter tails that get broken. Yep. From weight, shingles. You've got to collect all of these data. And it's, it's, uh, it's like a, a private investigator looking at a house trying to recreate the scene of the crime. Yeah. There's not a lot of highly technical stuff that you can do to figure out if a shingle is, is damaged because of it. But if you see the only place the seals are broken is along the eave where there's ice and it's they're the worst where the worst ice was one can suggest particularly if there's tears in this where the seals go together that this was caused by the pressure of this ice now my personal opinion is ice damming is not sudden never has been it takes mm -hmm. time to happen but the insurance world uh says it's a covered loss so the techniques we use always are predicated by what is this, the stuff we're looking at. If it's a fire investigation, there's a ton of information that you go in. There's equipment, there's, uh, you might even get a, a you know, a, a dog that comes in. Mm. There's a collection of evidence that you send off to labs. Uh, again, thermography is an important piece of that because depending on the, if you're there soon enough, the water patterns from where the firemen were putting stuff out. Uh, chemical assessment, uh, getting electrical engineers to do uh, investigation of how the wiring has reacted to uh, or the losses because an overheated receptacle is going to look different under a microscope than one that's just exposed to fire. Sure. So is. If, if the fire starts at a receptacle because of, of uh, you know, a short circuit or something, it will look different. So uh, there, wow. there's a, a, a you, you, Whatever you're looking at will require will tell you what materials you need. If it's asbestos, obviously you send it to a lab to test for the many types of asbestos. If it's mold, you could be doing air sam air traps. You could be doing uh, swipes or swabs where you pull them off. Mm -hmm. Visual inspection. There's all types of things. So I, I wouldn't say there's one method you go in. It's it's a matter of the person knowing. What do I need to know to understand how something got from A to B? Yeah. We don't try to be adjusters ever. Yeah. I'll, Some I'm gonna, engineers do. It looks like we've got a couple people watching on the Restoration Rebel Facebook page. Um, Michael Ray says he's going through this right now. And he said, State Farms engineer told me that the modular we have a claim on is his first ever to assess. Good luck with that, Michael. <laughs> you got a first timer out there. Um, Ivan Turner says, uh, "Leave out the pronouns." That's a humdinger. That's so true. I, I like it. Good. Well, we got some. We got an audience here. Yeah, the first time. What a what a great chance for that restorer to say, "It's your first time. What can I help you with to better understand?" How, how can I help you understand? How can I help you understand? Absolutely, Michael. Write that down. Go out there. It's non. It's non-threatening. You're not saying, how, you know, is it law covered or not? What can I do to help you understand what's going on? Perfect. That adjuster's going to smile and say, thank God. Mm -hmm. Because if the restorer can help him with some, some technical details, he can document his file. Document and his file better. And that's what we're talking about. Better. We're that just documenting the file. We're putting making the stack higher. 
the higher the stack, the happier the adjuster. That's just the way it goes. Yeah, an adjuster won't or shouldn't care where his best information is coming from. If the information helps support his coverage determination, it doesn't matter what source it's from. Yes, sir. Because it is what it is. The damage is what the damage is. So you and guys must have like an army of engineers across the country. No, well, we, we don't. We'd love to be across the country, but we're, we're mostly uh, the Northeast. Okay, uh, okay. For now. But if you, if you need, if exactly for now, if you need something in Bend, Oregon, man, we'll fly out there and take it. <laughs> I know you will. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I, I, we, we wish we had as many things going on as we need in our, we have, H2M's about 400 engineers and scientists, so there's okay. a pretty good number. Wow, that's a good, that's, that's of size. But that, that also speaks to the, the breadth of, of things you guys can analyze and look at. I mean, you look oh, at yeah. everything from asbestos to, to structural. Um, that's a, there's a big swath in between. Yeah, high, a high frequency is we have water damage in our basement. Mm. All right, is it, is it coming through the foundation or is what's it? The, yeah, what's, what's the cause? What's the, What's the cause? And at one time, you'd have a 25 or 30 year experience adjuster who could say, based on what they, he sees, says, look, here's what's going on. Yeah. It's not the case anymore. Uh, mm. and, and that's why, that's why engineers, and, and I can't say every engineer that goes out has the exposure for all of that either. So it, it's a learning thing for all the players, all the participants in the insurance affecting world so we just we just we touched on it briefly but let's let's go a little bit deeper how how should restores which make up the majority of my audience mm -hmm. how should we approach these outside experts not just engineers we're talking about uh forensic accountants and and everyone else um let's leave the Let's leave the uh, other contractor out for now, the, the competitive bid. Here's the air quotes again for you and Radio yeah. Land, the competitive bid contractors. Let's leave that off the table um, for now. But how, should we, how should we approach third-party experts and in, in, in how can we better get along with them to help well, our process? I would start before the third-party expert is engaged in the claim. All right, tell me about that. Something along the line it causes some disagreement in what scope or extent of scope is. Okay. All right, you don't need an expert unless there's something that needs to be explained. Okay. So, right from the outset, as you're walking through a loss with an insured or with, a, with an adjuster, if you get full agreement on scope, you'll never see an outside person. Okay. If, if the carrier wants to hire one, what is driving that need? What disagreement is causing that to be uh, something the carrier wants to do? The carrier doesn't want to spend two or three thousand bucks. Right. Or what gap in, in what expertise? Gap? What gap in expertise? Uh, okay. Uh, I'm getting. So again, that. if if the adjuster says, oh, "I'm not really sure about that," we're going to call an expert to take a look at this. Again, you can say. Is there something I can help you with to better understand what, where I'm coming from? Can I show you some technical information? Can, can we visit the house? Can we show you some things? You know, try, if you have more experience than the adjuster, uh, you need to be a helper to that person. It's an, it's an educational opportunity. It's an educational thing because it, it, calling an expert in is, is cycle time grows. It, there's an expense to it. 
often the expert comes in because the vendor, the restorer, and the carrier adjuster start to butt heads. Mm. And there's a little tone of anger. Yeah. Okay. All right. So keep what? it. Things- we don't get mad. Come on. <laughs> How about I've seen 8,000 of these. Mm. The whole neighborhood has a damaged roof, and you're telling me this one roof isn't? And the adjuster says, well, I am saying that, dang it, and I'm going to call an engineer to prove you wrong, you son of a gun. And then boom, boom, boom. Every time you butt heads, you're going to get an expert probably. Well, there's. uh, I'm working a claim right now. I'm going to reference back to this apartment um, 10-unit building in Atlanta. We, I didn't even have the claim yet, and a JS held guide had already been called out, and a forensic accountant had already been retained. So what does that tell me? I'm going to say that tells me this adjuster that got this claim had no clue, or no intention, or no intention to visit the property. Mm-hmm. One, one of those two things. Mm-hmm. Maybe he's a really good adjuster, but he's he doesn't have time, or doesn't he's not going to get on a plane and go there. So he's yeah. fearful. He's it's, fearful. It, exactly. Okay. So, so where do you see um, the JS held? I mean, I hate to use their name, but uh, JS yeah. held. A whole um, bunch of good people work for JS of, held. Yeah, sure, sure. And there's, there's other guys out there. Who's, what's another construction consultant we can name? Engel Martin. Engel Martin. Yeah. Right. Well, okay. So this is actually, this is an Engel Martin adjuster that hired JS held on behalf of Lloyd's of London. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's, but it was like all this happened. All these guys were already involved, and then I got the claim. I'm like, well, now you're you're the you're not acting as a public adjuster owner, right? You're acting as a restoration guy. Uh, I'm acting as the uh, construction consultant on it. Construction consultant. Okay, so so the customer said, look, Andy McCabe, you're my construction consultant. Yes. I need you to rep- I need you to be my advocate on all these things. Yes. But there's not a public adjuster's agreement, no. which doesn't matter one way or the other. So they contact all these folks. Typically, your smartest move is to speak with that the, whoever's going to be doing the expert investigation and say, hi, I'm Andy McKay. What is it that you, what is it that we need to accomplish on this thing? What, what is the, what is the damage? What is the scope? For example, the, the loss of rents or whatever. I've, you know, here's, let's agree that there's uh, 32 apartment units. The loss of rents is for, you know, six months. The, the amounts are, and rents are X. What part of that do you also need to include? What expenses do you need to back out of that that aren't continuing? Having that frank discussion of what methodology that person's going to use instead of waiting for the report where then you say, oh my God. Mm-hmm. So really, it, it, it's, it's incumbent upon you to have that conversation to get the full scope of what that person's going to do. How does a restorer get a hold of that person? Well, it's... My, my experience, well, in, in my experience, and spe- specifically on this case with this forensic accountant, I wasn't allowed. I didn't have access. What does wasn't allowed mean? And, they won't talk to me. If, if the... If the customer that you're advocating for says, look, you're doing this for me, whoever the primary carrier is, somehow along the line, the customer's the one who's got to demand it. And that's not always the case. Customers sometimes just, I don't even want to deal with this. Uh, 
So, so when it's a, a case where they just won't talk to you, I, I don't know what to tell you there, Andy. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, the, in an ideal world, we have a good conversation with. Oh yes, absolutely. Boots on the ground with a person. It's no different than walking through a damaged building. Yeah. With the carrier, you're you're virtually walking through the accounting of yes. this loss of rents or whatever that you're whatever you're working on. Mm. So the unfortunate so when, reality is we got to unwind this whole thing now. Yeah. When when the uh, when the accountant presents his information, is he presenting you all of the data from which his his uh, conclusion is coming from, or is he just saying it came out of a magic box? It's $13,475. Mm, a little bit of, of, he's being a little bit obtuse. Um, and, uh, and we can see where their numbers came from. And we already, not to go too deep into this one, we already came back and said, okay, we, we see this and here's all the stuff you left out. So here, we need another. Yeah, this, this, goes, this is heading down the road of appraisal. Yeah, I think it's what it, that's, that's because what it's at, at the time of appraisal, then he's got to show everything because yeah. the appraiser is going to come in and say, all right, I'm, I'm going to look at it differently. Appraisal for uh, a commercial job is can get a little bit expensive. So maybe that'll scare Very them. Expensive. Well, uh, JS Hell came in at 450, 450 K. We're going to be at 1.2 million. Is so. that just for the loss of rents? No, no. The loss of rents is, is, ancillary it's gonna be 30 yeah so so you've got uh, you've got bigger issues than <laughs> yes we do <laughs> yeah when it's that big of a difference uh that, that's like i don't even know <laughs> that's great numbers oh uh, all right let's uh, let's reel it in let's bring it back to you patrick uh mm -hmm. i gotta say uh i've since we got hooked up last fall i, I forget mm -hmm. when it was yeah, sometime last fall we did our first interview on the on mm -hmm. the claim clinic uh, I've been I've been watching you and 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 I don't know if I'm following you or you're following me around LinkedIn, but some of the stuff you're putting out there is just pure genius. So if you guys in the audience, I'm speaking to you guys and girls, if you want to learn something that you would, if you want a deeper understanding of how our industry works, you need to get hooked up with Patrick on LinkedIn and just read, just follow the knowledge and, and see how things go because every time Patrick I'm I'm not I'm, I'm just gonna inflate your brain a little bit inflate your head a little bit here but every time I read one of your posts I'm like wow that's profound or that's deep or that is that is connected at such a different level than than what we're used used to seeing um, you've got you've got a great perspective on things and I hate to admit that I agree with you on some things that I'm like, oh, no, I don't want to agree with you, but he's right. He's right. Um, so it's not always going to be in my favor or the restorer's favor, but you're right. You, you, back to the structure, the, the claim writes itself. This is not a creative writing exercise. Leave the pronouns out. It's just yeah, I, a perspective. I dealt with, and thank you for all those comments. I, I'm not sure they're warranted or not, but I'll leave that to you. <laughs> I, I I was a claim adjuster before I was a claim manager before I was a, I never took a claim to appraisal. Wow. Ever. Ever. Wow. Because you get in, you look at it, you agree, you educate each other. And there were a lot of public adjusters who knew a lot of cool stuff. There were a lot of vendors who knew a lot of cool stuff. And uh, you can't have an ego so big that you can't learn something on every claim. 
Sure. And that, that's really the key. And, and once you agree on scope, the money always works out. Mm. It always, it just does. You start with Xactimator, you start with Everest estimating system, and then you tweak and you move and you, you know, who was it? Uh, David Herring, maybe he's talking about uh, labor burden and having to walk up to the 12th floor of a building. And, uh, I and, haven't, I haven't watched that video yet. And yeah, side note, David Herring has a great video series on YouTube right now. So look it up. He does. And, and that's the stuff you learn from. And you say, well, yeah, that's true. This person's going to have to go up to the 12th floor. I'll give you a perfect example. In Manhattan, Oof. every Funky. claim, every claim essentially doesn't matter how many dollars has to have overhead and profit because every building has a, a super, every building has a doorman, and every building has a freight elevator, and every building has rules that say you can only work between 10 and 5, and you've got to go this way and that way, and you can't get parking. You have to understand this stuff. Your efficiencies drop dramatically. It drops dramatically. And the same thing, it's in every jurisdiction, there's some little thing mm. that, that's like that. And, and you just have to be, there's no absolute rules. And that's part of the problem we have of getting, uh, of new persons being in the industry saying, I must fit this into what I need to get my work done. Mm. There's no adaptation. And that's when it, when push comes to shove, oh, I don't understand this. We call an engineer, we call whatever. Uh, and, I, and I'm not disagreeing because I want all the engineering assignments that we can get. Absolutely. But if, if a restorer understands that is the fear of the adjuster, is it doesn't fit a pattern that they can comfortably work within, try to educate them. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with them. And if, if you, if you get to an adverse situation, you got to back off because it'll never end up right. Who has all the power in an insurance claim? It's not Andy McCabe. No, it ain't. <laughs> it just isn't. Or anybody else listening in. It's ultimately the, the carrier can choose to piss off the customer. Yeah, they can. And just write what they will write. And, and it doesn't get your work done. So try to be the helpful person. I mean, I, I can't say that enough. I like that. Education removes the fear. Uh, education removes fear. Yeah. Well, that's, a, that's a great opportunity. And I think we'll end on that. How can people get a hold of you, Patrick? How can people ask you questions? Best way is drop a note, hook up through LinkedIn. Let's do if that. If they send a message, I, I've, I don't think I've ever not responded to what you needed. Sure, uh, sure, sure. Uh, I, I'm a person who's been around a while. Um, I want to help everybody out because that's just the way I am. I'm not the smartest guy going, but I've been around. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> I'm just not. I'm just not the smartest guy going, but. Uh, well, I appreciate but, your time. I appreciate your attitude. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and uh, yeah, let's let's get H2M some business out of this. Yeah, wouldn't wouldn't hurt my feelings. I know it wouldn't hurt yours. Yeah, there's a couple of things that even though we're not nationwide, that we do uh, estimate reviews. Uh, if someone's if a carrier says, "Look, my uh, our our mold estimate." is correct, yours is wrong, we look at those things. There's a funny thing on whether somebody maintained heat or not. If you've got heat records, we can do consumption analysis. Uh, okay. How many times have you had a claim denied for a customer because they, they didn't maintain a reasonable time? Um, more than I liked, but... Is it, is it based on empirical is. data? But is it, a, is it based on someone really assessing now, straight up. No, I, I, can safely say, I can safely say I've never had it empirically proven. It's yeah. always been, well, yeah, we, we walked in and the thermostat was set at 40 degrees. 
Yeah. But is that reasonable or not? I don't know. That's the question. Yeah. Well, when it's when it's below zero for 14 days, and you yeah. set your set your uh, interior temperature at 40 degrees, that doesn't make much sense. You're going to freeze pipes. That's an easy one. Open and shut. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I, yeah. I, that's what if it's set to 55, and the customers in San Diego for a month, and 55 is pretty good. That keeps my house, but they've got all their doors closed, and the corner bedrooms where the hydronic heat is, all the elbows pop because it's not circulating. Yeah. Is that reasonable or not? Are they maintaining heat? Uh, we won't get into that, though. I'll leave that to the engineer. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right, Patrick, thanks again. Yeah, uh, my pleasure. Good to talk to you, and, and we'll be in touch. Uh, I'm sorry, be in touch uh, on LinkedIn. All right, man. Good luck. Thanks, out there. Andy. Take care.